0: Hey, it's Marcel. Imagine how awesome it would be if this year, 2023, your employees were more engaged and into their work. They made better decisions, collaborated without any of those people issues and just performed at a high level to produce great work. You know, as leaders, we know that these attributes eliminate countless headaches and help scale the business. But quite shockingly, we often see the exact opposite behaviors take place in our teams. So we developed a hybrid leadership course to help emerging leaders bring out the best in their people. So together with your management team, we're going to help you identify the leadership skills that will result in high performance in yourself and in your employees. We're going to identify what it takes to inspire, motivate, and engage human beings to do their best work. We're going to teach you the leadership habits that will attract A players to come work for your organization. You're going to learn how to overcome the number one obstacle to clear communication and you'll discover your personality strengths and blind spots and how to overcome those blind spots to help improve your work relationships. If you want to learn more about this unique leadership course, visit my website marcelschwantes.com and click on training.
1: The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology metrics or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action Podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes.
0: Hey, welcome to the Love in Action Podcast. Glad you could join us. Hey, now we circle the globe, folks, in 168 countries. And if you're joining us for the first time, and you like what you hear, we would love it if you could share this episode with a friend. Okay, well, here's what's on my mind today. We're going to tackle the topic of burnout. And I'm going to bring in a renowned expert to kind of school us on this very important topic burnout. So burnout, in case you haven't found out by now, is, is one of the biggest hazards facing your employees today. And it's also one of the most misunderstood topics around. And I say this because so many people tend to characterize burnout uh, as a, a personal issue. So like if you're a manager, you may say, well, you know, burnout is the employee's problem. They gotta figure out how to fix themselves, right? So a worker may go out and seek help. They may, you know, get counseling, therapy, or may learn some breathing and relaxation techniques, or, Worst case scenario, you might just lose that person. They'll quit and find another job, but the workplace remains the same. And other people will be caught in the same trap that leads to burnout. Experts estimate that more than $500 billion and 550 million work hours are lost annually to on-the-job stress. And much of it is caused by dysfunctional work environments. So yeah, maybe some of it is personal, but not all of it is. So what we propose today is that this pervasive problem of burnout also needs to be managed by the workplace and the people in charge of those workplaces. My guest today has a lot to say about this. She is Christina Maslach. She wrote, or I should say, she co-wrote a fascinating book along with Michael Leiter called The Burnout Challenge. Christina and Michael cite a wealth of research data and and they also cite lots of stories, anecdotes to show how organizations can change by identifying the signs of employee burnout, you know, doing something about it and then promoting sustainable productivity. So if you're an executive listening right now or maybe you're an HR leader, we got a lot of those on the show, perk up your ears here. Get maybe a notebook ready because Christina Maslach is going to walk us through some Some creative, cost-effective solutions to improve the life, health, and happiness of your employees. So Christina Maslach is the pioneer of research on job burnout. She is the co-creator of the standard assessment tool, the Maslach Burnout Inventory (MBI). She has produced award-winning articles and written several books. Her research achievements over the past five decades have led to multiple awards. Including National Academy of Science Sciences and others. Christina is Professor of Psychology Emerita at UC Berkeley, and she is now a core researcher at the Healthy Workplaces Center, also at UC Berkeley. And Christina now joins us. Welcome to the Love and Action Podcast.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: I can't wait to get into this. Such an important topic, but we have this kickoff question. For listeners to kind of get acquainted with our guests. You ready? Mm-hmm. What's your story?
1: <laughs> I think my story is that I have always been focused on how do we find the good in people and figure out how to make them thrive and do the best that they can in life. And my training as a social psychologist has pointed out to me, and we find it in our research, that it's not just about what's inside the person, it's what's outside the person. What is the environment, the context in which they are working or doing various kinds of things. And we need to take that into account and not put all the blame on what's wrong with the person. The person is responding to something. And so how do we get a better feel for what that is? And how can we make it better so that in fact, People do thrive in the workplace rather than get beaten down.
0: I love it. Everything you just said is so perfectly aligned with our mission here on the show. That's why we do it. That's why we bring people like you. So let's dive in and explore this fantastic book of yours. But I want to start at the kind of the thirty thousand foot level. <laughs> Give yeah. us a, a, a snapshot here. Well, how would you describe the book?
1: The book is trying to make clear that. The way human beings function depends on a relationship between the person and the environment in which they happen to be. And this applies to the workplace. It also applies to one's home life and relationships with other people and the neighborhood and all the rest of it. We have a tendency in society to kind of only focus on one part of that relationship, which is the person. And what about the person? What's wrong with the person? What can the person do? And we often forget the important role that where are you? What are you doing? What's happening? What's impinging on you? And so the book is really about, in this case, in the workplace, how do we improve that relationship between the job and the people doing the work uh, to make it a, a much better environment in which they can do well?
0: Yeah. And don't worry, folks, we're going to get into the whole nuts and bolts of identifying burnout and doing something about it in the workplace. But you know what, Christina, sometimes people tend to not really know what burnout is. I mean, even though we hear it all the time, burnout, burnout, you know, especially since the pandemic, it's like become a buzzword, right? Burnout. But tell me in your own words, I mean, what what is it exactly? And, And why is it so important nowadays? Well, the the phenomenon
1: that I've been studying and working on has been called burnout or job burnout um, in the workplace uh, for many decades now. You're right. It has become a buzzword to mean anything. You know, oh, I'm burned out on Pilates. I'm burned out on Chardonnay. I'm burned out on working from home. I'm burned out (laughs) being a parent, you know. So it has that unfortunate consequence of being so popular and so vivid that it gets applied to a lot of things. Right. I've been focusing on it for the past four years in the workplace, and when people are talking about burnout, they're talking about a response to chronic job stressors that haven't been well managed. So there's a couple of points there. One, chronic. Chronic means high frequency. They're there most of the time, all of the time. And we know from all kinds of work on stress and coping that it's much harder for people to cope well with chronic stressors than with occasional or what we call acute stressors that, you know, so it's it's not that people can't deal with an emergency or a crisis or, you know, some sort of thing once in a while, but when it's chronic and it doesn't change and it keeps wearing you down, there's an erosion that goes on there. So the chronic job stressors uh, are really important. The second point I want to make about that is that they have not been well managed. There's an optimistic note there. They could be, they could be well managed. They could be changed modified uh, in some way so that people don't experience it all the time happens less often, maybe with less intensity, better resources to try and uh, you know, handle that, that kind of problem. So that's, so it's a stress response because it's a response to chronic job stressors So burnout is characterized certainly by stress, uh, the exhaustion. I can't get up in the morning. I can't face another day, you know, that kind of thing. Um, But burnout goes beyond that. And that's what's important, really. Two things also are part of burnout. One is this sense of cynical, hostile, take this job and shove it, you know, kind of mentality, Yeah, yeah. which is they don't know what they're doing around here. How can I do my job? Well, da, 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 da. I do the bare minimum rather than doing my very best. I mean, just how, what do I need to do to get out of here, still get paid, da, da, da. That to me is really more the hallmark of burnout than being stressed and exhausted. It's what you do with it. And if you turn on the job, and do less well than you could, or whatever, or have this negative feeling about it. Um, that's that's you know a danger sign because people aren't really doing, you know, what you would expect or what they could or are capable of, and they don't really care that much about yeah yeah doing this. And then the third component that will come along with that is beginning to feel not just negative about the job. What's wrong with me? You know, why can't I handle all of this? What's, you know, maybe I made a mistake. I shouldn't be in this kind of work. Maybe I should be, you know, doing something else uh, and blaming oneself for feeling I'm not perfect. I'm not at the best I could be. And that kind of negative assessment of your own effectiveness in whatever job you do um, can lead down the road to things like depression or anxiety or, you know that kind of thing as well. So there are potential health outcomes of burnout, but it's a stress response to stressors in the workplace.
0: Yeah. And so I want to dispel a couple of notions here that we think um, about burnout this way. It's is that it's a medical condition. And so in my introduction, I say that we think it's a personal issue. And so, hey, you need to go get some help. You're burning out, right? So we kind of put the blame and the, and the, you know, and we guilt trip the, these workers to force them to go. You know, have now have they have to see a doctor and get a and get a, a, a diagnosis, right? Or be treated for burnout. But this is not really what we're talking about.
1: No, and let me point out that what. I just said is the definition of burnout is the one that World Health Organization has adopted in in 2019, actually. And they made it very, very, very clear. And this is world health. It is not, not, not a medical condition. They were very clear about that. Um, American Psychiatric Association, people say, oh, why don't we make it a mental illness, you know, and then people can go in for treatment, you know, for it. And they said, it's not a mental illness. You should not be pathologizing the stress response. That's a normal human response. It's a good thing we have it. (laughs) So when there are threats, when there are challenges out there, we have a response to sort of galvanize both in terms of our body and our thinking and, you know, the the whole thing. But at a cost, and if you're doing it chronically, that means you're in high gear when you can't relax, you can't recover, you can't stay healthy, it begins to just wear you down. And so it's not a mental illness. It's not uh, a health condition. And you're right, the fact that people do sort of frame it like that means that their choice of solutions is fix yourself, go get help maybe quit the job and leave, um, you know, all, all of the above. It is your problem, and it's very much blaming the victim for this. And uh, it what it does not do is ever look at what are the circumstances in which people are working which might be playing a role. What are those chronic job stressors? What could we do about those? Um, so I, I think that message or that, that uh, solution about self-care I mean, I'm not opposed to self-care. I think, yeah, we should always be doing that. But that's not the whole issue, and that's not the whole problem. And if you um, uh, actually don't, clar- you know, clearly articulate what's causing it, not what are its effects, what's causing the problem, that's the only way we're going to get around to not just coping with it, but preventing it. You know, changing the likelihood that people will. Have to deal with this,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you mentioned self care because uh, a, a lot of people they revert back to, oh, okay, I got to take care of, you know, I, I need to uh, take that vacation or or uh, I need to exercise more or watch my diet, things like that. Self care, right? But that's not that's not at all what we're talking about. So let's start to frame this discussion into what's really causing this this whole burnout epidemic uh, in the workplace. Talk us walk us through what you found.
1: Yeah. Well, what we're finding, again, is, um, and and when I say we here, it's not just me or my colleague, but also many other people who have been doing research on this for decades. I mean, that was the research evidence that was being used by World Health Organization, for example. I mean, um, and and what we are identifying is um, a number of areas in which the relationship between the worker and the workplace is out of whack. It's out of sync. There is a mismatch, a misfit, um, you know, a bad fit kind of thing. And there are ways in which we can begin to think about that relationship and say, how could we improve that? What do we do on, you know, in terms of the workplace conditions? What do we do in terms of either better training or support or self care or something on the on the person side? But there's the social, environmental, job condition. Care <laughs> that we need to uh, focus on, and it makes it more of a we problem. What do we do about it, rather than what you, the individual, do about it? Uh, because there's many people who are interacting, uh, being a part of the problem, being part of the effects of it, uh, could be potential part of the solution. And so, we really need to broaden um, what we're looking at and saying: How could we change? What are the the causes of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This so, is good. Yeah. This is good. Cause we got the underlying, uh, reason here for this, The you know, this, this whole cycle that leads to burnout. Okay. So talk us through this mismatch. I, I can't wait to understand the, the, so what you're saying is the burnout experience, uh, comes down to a mismatch between people and their job. Did I get right. that right? Yep. yep. All right. So uh, what are those (laughs) (laughs) mismatches?
1: Yeah, and the mismatches um, come in several different areas that we've identified so far. Maybe there's more that we haven't yet, but uh, we know of at least six, which means that there are not just one size solutions. There are six potential areas that you could look at. And some of those might be more important for some people or certain kinds of jobs and so forth. So uh, the six, just quickly, um, are things like the community relationship between people on the job, the workplace community. Is there trust? Is there support? Is there a way of resolving conflicts so that we can or disagreements, so that we can figure out how do we move forward rather than getting stuck, you know, and not being able to do that? Um, Do people feel they have, you know, somebody else they could turn to if they need Uh, help or advice or just having a bad day or something like that? Or are they going to be in an environment that is what's called socially toxic? You don't know that person is going to throw you under the bus rather than say, oh, yeah, I have some help, you know, kind of thing. People talk about feeling alone. They don't know what safe place to go. They're getting bullied. Um, They're getting, uh, you know, it's very uncivil getting uh, people put each other down. Uh, you don't really have that kind of rapport, you know, that you enjoy the people you work with in your team, your office, your clinic, you know, whatever that happens to be. Um, so that that workplace environment of of people, um, uh, you know, the bullying, the harassment as opposed to cooperation, collaboration. let's you know, celebrate our wins and figure out how to improve, you know, if we make mistakes. Um, So that's one area uh, where there can be a big mismatch. Um, Another one is fairness. Uh, People want to, whatever the rules, whatever the policies, what is the practice that it's fairly administered to everybody, you know? And so this is where, uh, when there's mismatches, this is where there's discrimination. This is where there's glass ceilings. This is where the wrong people are getting, you know, the awards rather than the people who really do the work. And feel that they're not, this is not a fair place to be, you know? Um, we find also, for example, that reward is an important uh, mis- area of potential match or mismatch. Um, so if you do good work, you expect that you're gonna get new opportunities, you you know, get a pay raise, you know, get training to do another kind of job. Um, and if that doesn't happen, good work is not recognized, is not rewarded. and it's not just about salary and benefits. It turns out, in the research social recognition is a biggie people were glad you were there and you helped out and you took care of that problem and pat you on the back and say thank god tell me how you did that with that client because it worked much better than what i did you know that kind of thing um people always say well what about workload yeah if you have a uh, mismatch in workload you have high demands low resources Not enough time, not enough people, not enough information, tools, whatever it happens to be, to meet those demands. So, sure. But what we often find is that what people complain about is an uncontrollable workload. So control how much say, discretion, uh, choice you have to do the job as best you can or course correct or come up with some better alternatives uh, or you have no say at all. You're just dumped on Uh, um, Yeah
0: no voice then, basically yeah, yeah
1: yeah and then um the sixth area is one that we talk about as values or meaning and this is why am i here why do i think this is important how what kind of pride do i take in this work am i facing ethical conflicts having to lie to cheat to say the wrong things not to you know to be quiet and not speak up when there's some problems even if you know that there's something wrong going on um or being just put in um in healthcare they've been talking about it as moral injury where you are forced into having to do things that are very difficult or you think are you know maybe not correct it's the job that's doing it to you it's not that you're a, necessarily a bad person or somebody who can say these things and do these things but um it, it's it's coming from uh, the the values conflict uh, that's going on in the job so any of those six areas and they overlap, you know, they're not, you could have a reward that is very unfair, you know, kind of thing. And what's the issue to solve here? We give an example in the book of where it's the fairness. It wasn't about recognizing good work. It was that it was such an unfair system that people hated the award because they knew it was going to somebody's buddy, somebody who was brown nosing, it's not about the people really doing the job. Um so screw this organization, you know, to work here. But these areas of mismatch are not only a way of kind of figuring out where are the problems. In other words, what's working well in these areas, but where are there problem points? Um, and a, And then the thing is you pivot. Okay, it's not as great as it should be. How could it be better? What could we do to move along to a place that is more fair when it comes to recognizing distinguished service, or how do we get, you know, these these teams on the same page so that they are working more collaboratively rather than always, you know, uh, infighting and, and stuff like that. Um, so you've got then sort of the potential of many pathways to begin to make some changes and improvements. And these are not big, you know, reinvent healthcare for the 21st century costs billions of dollars kind of solutions. It's like, can we get the equipment we need to see the patients and not have to waste time leaving the patient all alone while we're running to find the Xerox machine or, you know, whatever. What are, I mean, uh, in, in some of the healthcare literature, they talk about this as pebbles in your shoe, which I think gives a more clear focus on these are the things, the chronic job stressors, that are there all the time, that are annoying, that are hurtful, that get in the way, that are obstacles, that if you just didn't have to do X or Y or Z, you could get your job done and feel good about it. Um, So it's finding those things which may at some level seem small, but they're not trivial. They're important because they are the thing that are wearing you down because you have to deal with this. Um, And so it's, how do we kind of move to a better place? What could you know? What are ten things we could do here that might make this more effective, uh, cause less stress? Uh, you know what would you know? The world's changing; things have got to change in the job. How can we kind of evolve to a better place? Yeah, um, for us.
0: Okay, so many things going through my mind right now as I'm listening to you. I want to I want to get into you know pivoting away from those job mismatches, but you you trigger quite a few thoughts here. Okay, okay. One is one is that, that we've been kind of labeling the worker quote worker right yeah. as the as the employee maybe on the front lines. Yeah, but we're. I don't want to negate the fact that a senior leader in the C suite may also be experiencing. Oh yeah, some of these mismatches, right?
1: Right. Oh yeah, and okay. managers, and sometimes they are under more stress. Middle managers. I mean, cause you're getting it from top down and bottom up and they're, you know, so this is not just frontline employees at all. Um, we, we see And in fact um, we've seen, you know, for example, I remember talking with executive coaches in Silicon Valley and they talked about red ink behavior by the boss going through his or her own, mostly his uh, burnout, you know, and having trouble doing it. But it has a lot of effect on everybody else in terms of my way or the highway or, you know, not being open to we could do it better. You know, actually, (laughs) we're getting into a bind here. Let's let's rethink this. And um, uh, so, yeah, it's it's something that is not limited to a particular kind of occupational level. Uh, We see it more often in some kinds of occupations than others. But that doesn't mean it
0: couldn't happen. Right. Right. So speak to the person that may be experiencing, well, that's pretty much everyone, whatever your title role, you know, um, in the hierarchy. But what I'm getting at here is that, you know, for some people, maybe they're old school. It's a badge of honor to just barrel through because there are, oh, no, there's the deadlines to meet and you just got to get the job done. And for some people, it's just ego, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to take time off. Or no, I'm not going to... So they they just keep going. And this, this chronic thing that you've mentioned, I guess that's why it's chronic. I mean, it's... But I wonder how much of it is a blind spot where they may not know. Take, for example, community, that they're in a socially toxic culture. So where's the... How will I know? What's the breaking point where I will know, oh, my goodness, I am totally in the middle of a talk tox- uh, not toxic in the middle of a burnout uh, kind of cycle here yeah. i need to yeah. it's spiraling downward i need to get <laughs> myself out of it what yeah. what what am i feeling or experiencing when that yeah
1: happens? um so you mean what what are people experiencing and how do they deal with it or
0: yeah I yeah if is that what a... you're getting at, yeah Right. You know, whether I'm the frontline employee or the C-suite executive, okay, how do I know I'm burning out at that moment, right? If I'm barreling through.
1: If you're barreling through, and it's interesting that you, I I just want to comment on that because I have talked with a number of people and even recently people saying, I always used to think um, that if something needed to get done, my job was to raise my hand. You know, because if I raise my hand, I'm likely to be recognized. I might like, you know, keep raising my hand. You can count on this person and um, I'll be known. I'll be in line for, you know, better rewards and all that kind of stuff until it got to the day where I just went totally numb and could not function anymore and didn't and just realized something was wrong because, well, you know, and so I think that you're right that in many ways people don't realize at first that doing more and more and more and more without taking something off your plate to balance it, you know, you know, in other words, okay, if I'm doing another task over here of all the other stuff I'm supposed to do, what could I let go of? Or can we change it so that it doesn't have to be done? I mean, really, do we need to put these files, you know, that nobody never reads? I mean, it would, blah, 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 you know, kind of thing. So, um, so that's, that's one thing that I think is a, has always been a sort of problem when you're dealing with stress reactions, is that people often don't realize how far they're exceeding their ability to recover and be healthy until it's, You know, they've really exhausted themselves and gotten sick or, you know, just said, I can't do this anymore and calling in sick and blah, you know, kind of thing. Um, So there are long term consequences of stress that may not be seen until later. So part of it is to sort of educate people and make sure that, you know, you need a healthy balance in life and a healthy balance means that you have your work life. okay, a job. But you need a personal life, whatever that happens to be. And that can involve things like going and getting groceries and cooking meals to spending time with your best friend or, you know, having children in in a family or, you know, whatever. Um, And the third component is you need a chunk of time to actually sleep and rest. (laughs) We have gotten into this thing where um, that mantra, which I would always hear, do more with less, you know, it's kind of like, this is bad math. I mean, you need, you need time to recover. I mean, the human body needs, you know, uh, needs all of that. So the old notion of an eight-hour work day, an eight-hour personal time, and an eight-hour sleep time, that's the 24 hours, and it's that kind of balance. I mean, people have talked about that we are now seeing more people who are sleep-deprived and having a problem and when you're sleep deprived, you're likely to fall asleep on the job. You're likely to make errors. You're, you know, uh, you know, you, you don't function as well if you have not kind of, you know, restored yourself, uh, you know, in a, in a healthy way. So we need to educate people about that. But the other thing that I think I, I need to point out is that what people need to then be, say is and get out of the thing of what's wrong with me and figuring out is anybody else having problems around here? Am I the only one? I mean, if I'm the only one who can't do the job and everybody else is truly happy and functioning and whatever, that tells me I'm in the wrong place and I need to get, you know, but if it turns out that there are other people who are kind of having the same kind of issues with some of these chronic stressors and so forth, that's what I mean by shifting from me to we, what can we, how can we use our collective power here to say, could we do this differently? How do we handle intake? You know, this is where our problems are, Our you know, pebbles in our shoe. Come up, what what would be a better way of doing that? Could we redesign it? Could we get some information first so that we could better sort people in and not have them waiting in line, you know, or whatever that that happens to be. Um, And the uh, conclusion, if you will, or the the thing that I want to, he was the lesson learned here is that you don't need to self confess to burnout in order to ask for change or accommodation. Um, We should just be reframing the whole question and saying, okay, how could we make things a little better here? Let's just periodically check in and sort of see, is this working? Is that, you know, this is fine. Wow. Great. We've got it nailed right here. No problem at all, but we're, Are there any kind of issues and how could we make it better? Then you're not blaming anybody. Nobody has to say, I can't take it and then get put down and stigmatized. And that's why people don't speak up about it often. Um, But actually, reframing it as how do we keep on a regular, continual improvement kind of thing? What could we do here? What could we do there to kind of make things a better environment for all of us and a better place for us to work? And if you reframe it, then it's not getting into what's wrong with you? You need to take care of yourself. You are judged as less than a hundred percent and you're not going to, so that's why people don't divulge, you know, or don't really talk about it. And that's why you get this pluralistic ignorance. Everybody else seems fine sort of, and not me. And you know, what's wrong with me rather than realizing there's a whole bunch of people out there who are, struggling with the same chronic stressors <laughs> maybe they're not as burned out as you're feeling it doesn't matter. why can't we just frame it as how do we kind of continually evolve to make things different better um not perfect, but better uh and you know it, that's a normal process. I mean I'm a professor who, you know, does did a lot of teaching i'm retired now but uh t- with the way we taught 50 years ago not the way we're teaching today things have changed the world has changed technology has changed we've learned new things about education so of course we adapt and we change and we become better at doing what we're doing we you know so it that's a normal <laughs> kind of thing and it should just be i think periodically on the agenda let's just check in and see what's working well yay What's still kind of that pebble in the shoe that's, you know, getting in people's getting in the way? Um, and you know could we come up with some solutions some solutions here? People have ideas, what we can do better. Um, and then when you come ask for input and advice, people might come up with five, ten, fifteen different ideas. All of those would have to be looked at for what are the benefits, the pros, what are the cons that you have to be aware of, you know, because, just about everything in life is like a double-edged sword, you know, some good aspects, but there's some other things that go along with it or costs or difficulties or whatever. So, what would be of those five or 10 or 15, what would be worthwhile trying? And let's see if we can make it
0: fly. So okay, so I I'm gonna review um a, a few of these, if not all of them, uh the the mismatches that right between the 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 job and uh and the people so i mean the the ones that really stuck out for me christina is well obviously workload since the pandemic the lines are blurred now with especially the remote workers right people working from home the workload it's like you can't tell anymore where it starts where it ends because they're at home and you know your devices are turned on 24 7 so yeah, some people not good. Yeah, <laughs> Get right exactly. So that's a that's Start a big one for me. That's a big mismatch. Uh, the other one that really sticks out for me is control or, or a lack of control where uh, we talk a lot of a lot about this, not giving employee voice or not giving them a, the opportunity to kind of have a say, because, you know, people in the front lines, they may know more than their managers about what's yeah. going on. Right. Uh, exactly. With with customers, et cetera. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, exactly. Good example.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and the and then I think the biggest one for me is I got to go back to community. I mean, you, you nailed it when you say it when you said that uh, you know it's a breakdown of communal communal norms into it turns into a socially toxic work culture.
1: Yeah,
0: I've been in those environments, and uh, yeah. and I ended up in the hospital uh, as a as a result of a toxic work culture. That yeah. was very fear-based and intimidating, oh, yeah. right? So yes. so I want to maybe touch on those three as far as like, how do we pivot away from yeah. these mismatches? I mean, what, what needs to happen? How can leaders create better matches?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things uh, that I want to point out, and we again mentioned this in the book, that as we've worked with different organizations collecting data for research, but then, you know, part of our bargain is we come back and work with them on what do you do about it? Um, and and we learned something we call the three C's. Um, and the first one that I wanna mention here is collaborate. There, you really, really, really need to not just say, oh, let's do X top down, everybody has to do X now. Um, there should be as much bottom-up, sideways communication, however, to sort of say, can we identify what's working well, identify where the problems are, and some possible solutions? How could we, you know, little ones, bigger ones, you know, what would be ways that would make it work better for you? And be sure, so, you know, managers with their teams, um, you know, a- ideal sort of level to do it, because it may not be organization-wide, it might be an issue for this group here, these people over there, what they're doing, they're fine, you know, leave them alone, <laughs> you know, kind of it. Um, so that notion of voice, of collaboration, of getting people all on the same page, of willing to say, let's try to do it, let's pick A as the solution we're gonna do, and we're gonna commit to getting it and seeing if it works and, you know, course correct along the way. Um, so that, is it is an important aspect. A second aspect of it is customize. There is no one-size-fits-all solution that you just boom put in and it's going to work. You have to make figure out is this a good way to go about it just because they did it in a you know uh a tech firm over here doesn't mean that it's going to work in that clinic over here. You're going to have to customize it to the kind of work we do and the people and how they work together and so forth. So make it your own. You know, come up with something that sort of fits better with us um and then the third c was to commit in the sense of these are not one shot you know weekend workshop or you know whatever and now we're done you know kind of thing you have to work at it to make it part of our better way of doing things and it'll take some time and it'll need course corrections and there'll be some glitches nobody thought about but it's kind of like okay here's what we're trying to get to so this will be less stressful for people by taking off this and really focusing over here on that. Um, and we'll we'll kind of keep at it, re-engineering it until we get it to a thing that actually is helping um, with people. And uh, uh, so I think those are some of the things that need to be, you know, it's, it's a process. It's not a, here's a Band-Aid, p- let's put it on and then we're done with it. Uh, you know, it's like people are saying, oh, well, Close down the business for a week. Everybody goes off. Then burnout will be gone, right? No. If you come back to the same job conditions, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, vacation can be nice, but it's a respite. But it doesn't change the causes. And if you still have the causes being those chronic job stressors, then it's a short-term solution. It's not a long-term prevention uh, of the of the problem.
0: Uh, yeah. And I love it that you're you're calling everyone. You're bringing everyone to the table to To have the right discussions, employee bosses alike and other stakeholders to come up with solutions that is going to fix the 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 things in the workplace that are leading to burnout. So, right. for example, I mean, if if it's a workload or people are overworking yeah. issue, yeah. then you know you you want to bring people together, hear the employee, give them a voice, give them ownership to come up with solutions because. They're the workers. They're the ones <laughs> who are going to
1: carry it out. And, it right. won't, and any, <clears throat> any possible change or, or maybe not a change, keep doing, but it won't happen if people are not on the same page and saying, Oh yeah, there'll be a shadow system. There will be something else because they don't trust it. Get something that they trust. They feel this, this could work and let's, let's see how to make it, you know, effective, you know, in, in, in that way. Um, and and so that mantra, which I've always, as I said before, always disliked, you know, sorry, we're going to have to do more with less, you know, is just not, I mean, that's a way of creating chronic stressors that, you know, are not successfully managed. I mean, it's basically saying you just have to pile it on your plate. Nothing gets off. So the, the, one of the principles that, that we talk about and we've seen is that, you know, it turns out in general, people are very good at adding things, you know. Here's more for you to do, more hours, take on this task. Very bad, if or never, do subtraction. And you have to do subtraction if you're going to do addition in order to keep a relatively good balance fit between you know, people and, and the job. So we need to not just do the job you've been doing and do more, but can we rethink or redesign some of the jobs so that it's now a little different than what you used to do, but it's doable and it's, you know, and you don't have to spend hours and hours and hours raising your hand and saying, yeah, yeah, I can do that too and stay late and work on the weekends and, you know, <laughs> never say no, all that, all that kind of problem.
0: Oh, I love it. It's it's, re- it's rethinking systems that are broken we may not even be aware that they're broken, but it's revisiting that and reframing things. Like you said, this has been this has been a beautiful lesson, by the way. And then the 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 one mm-hmm. about control or lack mm-hmm. control, oh, right. yeah. of control, the mismatch of control. So collaborating with your employees uh, to to understand what's the, what's the solution here to the mismatch of they have no voice, they yeah. they're not valued, um, they have no say in the matter is. Yeah. Uh, to me, is to well, obviously, to give them a voice, give them Im- give them an opportunity to have input um, and, and yeah. provide solutions themselves. Maybe it's it, it's more autonomy, perhaps, um, yeah, and more choice. What do you say? Yeah.
1: No, I I agree, and and one of the things I want to um, use as a, as an analogy here that I think might clarify things on it is that the notion of a fit. Between the person and the job is not a new one. We have done it for a long, long time in terms of the physical work environment. So we have learned over the years that you need to adjust the physical equipment, the chairs, the computer stations to the human body so that you don't damage it. You know, you're sitting in a in a bad chair, you're gonna have back problems, musculoskeletal injuries and stuff like that is probably number 1, you know, and in, in in terms of uh, worker problems and, you know, money being paid for, you know, healthcare and all that kind of thing. Um and if you I don't know if you remember but when computers and workstations started coming out years ago, it would blow out people's hands, carpal tunnel syndrome, you know, fingers, wrists, etc. Now we're redesigning it so that doesn't happen. So there's how do you make a better physical fit assembly lines, I mean, whatever you just think about it, there's a lot of ways in which we say, okay, here's how the human body functions and 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 to keep it safe and, and uninjured as much as possible, here's what you need to change in terms of the design so there's a better match, a better fit. We're taking that same concept and saying, there's also a match and fit in terms of psychological and social functioning. And there are core needs that all people have, all the time, not just at work and life, um, but when we talk about the workplace, anything that provides a better match on that is going to be critical. And so, we're thinking about how do you provide more autonomy? That's one of the core needs. We all want to feel that we have some choice, we have ability to, uh, to decide how we're going to live our life, and you know, create all these kind of things. How does a redesign of the job perhaps? build in opportunities for more of that sense of autonomy so that people feel it as they're doing the job. Um, another coordinate is belongingness, that you're part of something. Um, and what are the things about the job that help build that sense of a of a we, we belong, we know where to go and do, we can work things out if we disagree, all of that, you know, kind of thing. Psychological safety is another one. Not just physical safety, but you know, that you're in a job where it's okay to raise a criticism. If you see something going on, you're not going to get shut down or, you know, or something like that, that you're not going to be harassed, that you're not going to be bullied, you know, uh, that, you know, there's a, it's it's an environment in which we can work. So fairness is another, I mean, there's a number of those core needs, which we, we talk about in the book. And again, getting a better fit on those things like autonomy in terms of the control, the belongingness in terms of community or reward, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, it's, it's just extending that same metaphor of how do you get a better environment uh, and putting in the kind of conditions that will really allow people to grow and thrive and do their best and, you know, all the rest of it. So if you think of, it, uh, you know, the analogy with like out of my deck here, uh, a plant, you know, beautiful plant with blossoms and stuff. And if I put it in a bad pot with lousy soil and don't water it and don't give it enough sun, I don't care how great that plant was and how much money I spent for it as being the best in the world. It'll, you know, it will not thrive. It will not grow because I haven't given it the sort of basic things that will allow, allow that to happen. Um, so that's, and so you're, I started with this point of autonomy by saying that that is one of we identify seven, you know, kind of core needs that people have in life and do better in life in anything if they have a sense of autonomy and belongingness and, you know, fairness and and values and all these kinds of things. Um, uh, so that's really what we're about. It's not just fixing the chairs, you know. <laughs> uh but it's also fixing, you know, or you know, coming up with a better way in which uh, we feel we're contributing, feel good about this, you know. And um, does that all make sense?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, okay. It, to me, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's fixing the conditions necessary, the or the environment that will will reduce these mismatches and in elevating. The conditions that will will, will lead to better uh, better matches between the person and the job to reduce the risk of burnout. That to me, that's the bottom line.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think that um, one of the things that I see uh, in many organizations and have for quite some time now is that sometimes what's happening is on the leadership at various levels that they are trying to deal with a problem and they're doing it with the best of intentions to do something about it but they don't actually check in with people ahead of time about would this help will this make a difference if i put a volleyball court on the roof of the building do you think this will help and people will say no don't spend the money spend it over here on some other things that'll really you know improve so uh you know without the more direct communication and sort of collaborative, I you know, focus on how can we make it a little bit better here so this is not a, a kind of chronic, you know, complaint among all people about what they have to deal with. Um, you just need to have those voices, particularly of the people who are going to have to carry this out and deal with the problems. Um, they should have some say. It doesn't mean that they'll always come up with the best solution but they'll come up with ideas and then people can talk among each other and sort of say here's the well okay this is good but you know we're going to have a problem over here if we move this way um how do we get to a point where we're on the same page and say okay this would help <laughs> you know um and let's 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 give it a try and make it work for us
0: so if you're a leader please i urge you to get this book because a lot of the work we do is informed by science and research and i mean we got data here from Christina and her team that has identified these dimensions. So I'm going to review real quickly and then we'll wind down uh, to a close, okay? Well, you want to get this book because you want to identify what's going on here in these three dimensions in your workplace. The capability dimension, okay, that, th- this is where workload or overwork falls into and control or lack of control. You want to find out what's going on here. What are the mismatches? the social dimension, that's the big one for me, is is the the community, right? So if you're in a socially toxic workplace, please stop it and find out how to have supportive relationships among all your employees, okay? And also under the social dimension, Christina found is the rewards and recognitions piece, right? Are people being uh, recognized for their work? And I, I'm I'm gonna say that not everybody wants to be recognized the same way as well. So find out how that how all that plays out. And then the third dimension um in the research is the moral dimension. That's fairness. You want a, a fair and equitable environment. So look at is that is there a mismatch mismatch there? And then lastly is the values that falls under moral dimension. Values, you gotta have clear values. To do meaningful work where people are kind of like on the same page, right? So, uh, is that a fair assessment of of sort of the whole framework yeah, that people can yeah. use? Yep. Yeah, okay. True.
1: That's true. all right.
0: Perfect. Well, I yeah this this, this is great. So I want to I want to ask you. So everything that you have researched in in thirty years of doing this, what would you say? what what floats to the top christina what's the bottom line here what's the biggest lesson you can pass on
1: i think the biggest lesson that i've seen is that people are capable of really good things and they can work well they can improve they can help out they can you know identify things before they really go wrong you know and We ought to be able to figure out how to help more of that happen on a regular basis. So for me, it's always trying to say, how do we create that great pot and everything so the flowers can bloom? How do we create the great or better environments in which people can really blossom and and do their best, feel good about who they are and what they're doing, contribute Feel they're a meaningful part of it, uh, get joy from their work, and you know, good times and good relationships, and so that it's not something that you know awful I have to do kind of thing, uh, but it's part of a life well lived. And I think um, you know we've learned a lot during the last few years of the pandemic when the workplace got upended and it became really different. But that there's another mantra there of. The job is what it is. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Turns out the job can change. It doesn't have to be it is what it is. And so we'd recognized the gap before and said, well, okay, the job is what it is. You are going to have to just change and figure out how to keep up with it. And we'll keep piling on more. Um, and that changed. And I think that's why people realize, wait a minute, maybe I don't have to work at that kind of place. Maybe I don't have to work and commute. Maybe there could be a different way of thinking about, you know, or what kinds of jobs I can do. And part of it is also saying, I wanna have a good, healthy, enjoyable life for as much as I can while I'm here on this planet. And how do we, from the knowledge that we gain from all of this, how can we figure out how to put it into practice so that in fact, a thousand flowers are blooming, you know, <laughs> rather than, you know, dying in the dirt. Uh, we can we can do better, and I think we really need to, you know, if we're going to um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, creating for those, you know, work hours that you have, uh, a better way to do something that you feel good about, and you're confident, and you contribute, and It makes a big difference. We should be doing that.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, as we wind down here, I pose you the leadership love question. So of all the ideas discussed, or maybe something that we have not covered yet, in your own words, how do we lead with practical and actionable love day in and day Uh, out? Well,
1: I think it takes a um, real recognition that, you have hired people you've invested in them but the return on that investment getting the best and the most you know not just most but the best out of these people is going to require attention to what are the things that will help those people grow and thrive in the job um so one uh recognizing and you know saying that you have a a role to play it's not just you hire the right people leave them alone or put all these things on them you still have to do that And one of the things that I have seen um, is what we used to call walk around leadership Um, in the old days. I don't know if we have a different name for it now, but it means getting to know the people who are working for you, showing up, walking the floor and, you know, or the in the clinic or in the school or, you know, getting together and getting a sense of how things are going. I'm interested in how you're doing. Let me know what, you know, is is not working well, what is okay. How can you know? So people have a sense that they have a voice, they're seen, they're they they belong, they're doing something and they have a role to play to make the thing work even in better as well. So having that kind of more engaged leadership um and it can happen at many different levels, um, even with managers. I mean, sometimes people think of the manager as simply passing on bad news from the top rather than I'm your advocate, you know, and we're going to fight back on this new load that's being done because this is not doable. We've got to do something else. So, but they're in a position to really work on these kinds of continual improvement things and say, yeah, we're in this together and let's figure out how we can make it the best possible for all of us.
0: Yeah, I love how you brought it right back to the social dimension aspect of how to practically love it comes down to the relationship that we foster as leaders. And that's gonna that's gonna address the 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 social piece, the community piece that falls under under the social dimension. Fantastic. Well, we bring it home with two final questions, as we do with every guest. Christina, personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know?
1: Um What's tugging at at my heart, I think, is so many instances that we're seeing in the world today of real breakdown of relationships of people with other people and the cruelty and the violence and the, you know, discrimination, treating people as less than human um, takes all kinds of forms, whether it's the war in Ukraine or it's the relationships between people you know, in the neighborhood or, or you know, in schools or whatever. Um, and I keep thinking one of the things we know <clears throat> from decades and decades of social science research is that the most important thing for people's well-being is other people. We are not an island. We are social creatures. Um, and if we do things that make it difficult for us to talk to each other, to help each other, you know, to have each other's back. Um, we're shredding this kind of um basic core need that we have for this kind of social fabric. I can't say network anymore, social fabric um that that keeps us alive and thriving. I mean, we learn from people, we teach others, we, you know, we play different roles, whether it's in the workplace or in the family or friends or, you know, wherever. Um, Being isolated, being alone, not knowing where to turn, uh, feeling you you don't have any safe harbor to go to when you need some advice or help or whatever, um, that's incredibly destructive. And, And so this is a resource, core resource that we have as human beings. And if we're creating environments of fear and overload and stuff that is tearing people apart, that is not allowing them to actually get to know each other and work together and, and have, you know, good functioning relationships Um we're, we're not heading in a good mm. direction you know, mm. for just human society. So the more I see these other things, the more I, 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 I worry um, about the future we're creating. And um, so I think that's probably where my heart is now.
0: Oh, yeah. You touched on so many things that could lead to another two hour podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we yeah. have a
1: lot to talk about. There. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christina, finally. Hey, you close us out as all guests do your way, whether it's uh, with a, a key takeaway or something to keep us inspired.
1: I think the thing that I would say is a key takeaway is to always be looking for the good you know um and the common good and how can we figure out better ways to get more of it from everybody contributing from everybody gaining and getting uh that we look for the good in each other and we look for what are the things that we could do to make more of that happen and make that more a, a boundary condition of the lives we live. Uh, it's reciprocal. It, you give and you and you take, but you, you know, have to be really a part of looking for uh, who we want to be, how we want to live, how can we help more people get more out of the life they have.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well put. I want to thank you so much, and folks, Christina is is a true pioneer um in this whole burnout burnout movement so please check out the book the burnout challenge available everywhere and i'm telling you it's it's going to be life-changing once you identify all of these mismatches in your work environment it's going to be game-changing for your business <laughs> it's really what it is and so i i want to thank you for for basically just honoring us with with your presence your wisdom and your knowledge and all those years of research that you've done. It's been it's an amazing work that you do. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> oh, all right. Point our listeners to maybe a couple of places they can go to connect with you, learn more about you. Where can they go?
1: Um, well, there's a, a website, um, the burnoutchallenge.com, um, that gives you a lot of information and may answer questions and things like that. Um uh my email address at, at Berkeley is still, you know, one that I use, and that's just masslack at berkeley.edu. Um, and there's, you know, websites there, and and that would be another way of doing it.
0: Perfect, perfect. Thank you again. So you can keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag Love and Action Podcast, and also look for my show notes on my website, com. You can find all the resources there to this episode including all of christina's contact information as well as a youtube link if you prefer to watch the show from now on and finally hey we're always looking for sponsors to help us spread the love in action movement globally if you're interested let's chat reach me on my website or find me on linkedin
1: thank you for listening to the love and action podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please share it subscribe and leave us a review Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.